Hello, welcome to the show, Richard. Thank you, Jack. It's a real pleasure to be on your podcast. Thank you for inviting me. No, it's my pleasure. So maybe just kick off because I try and explain the society um, as best I can, but I've only been in it for a year. So you've been doing this for many years. A few years. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe you could just explain a bit about your background and how you came to the society and what it is and just try to condense all that down into It'd be a pleasure, though. I'm sure, actually, your in, your introductions, I'm sure, are, might be more meaningful to a lot of people than mine. So it's great that you, you're doing it, and well done to you for doing it. Um, well, my background, I, I came into it, I was at university at the time, and I was really on the search. I mean, I'd, I'd actually been searching from the age of 14, quite consciously, knowingly. Like, one day I got up, and I suddenly, I'm on, you know, it began at the age of 14, the day before I hadn't been that bothered. <laughs> and uh, it was a very crystal clear thing. And, uh, you know, I, I, I had thought that people, especially adults, must have looked into this. And cutting, I was at a school called King's School Canterbury, where a lot of people were going to be priests at that school. At that time, not so much now, it's connected to the cathedral. And I... I assumed that people would know some of the questions, the answers to them that I had, and I, I found that they didn't in a nutshell. Uh, it was quite disappointing, as a matter of fact, at that age. And so I carried on, basically got to university, turned to Eastern philosophy, which was actually quite trendy at that time, uh, in the sort of early 70s. Um, but I, I wasn't just, it wasn't a trend to me. I, I really wanted to look into it. So I came at it almost through that yoga tradition in how I came across Dr. King and particularly through his uh, practice of prayer that he teaches or his method of prayer, dynamic prayer, as he calls it. Um, I was introduced to it by a, a very old friend of mine, <laughs> very close friend of mine to this day, John Holder, who was at the same university, that's Hull University in the north of England. And he was giving a lecture on dynamic prayer at the Buddhist and Vedanta Society at Hull University. And I was in the audience and I decided to try it. I tried, went and tried it that night. Okay. And he, he, I didn't have any prayer to use, but I, I raised the hand as we do in the Ethereum Society, raised the hands, visualized white light flowing through the palms of the hands. And I'd seen a, a sort of distressed um, tramp or somebody that earlier that day who looked in need in the street so i i decided to send him healing and i visualized him uh being given healing just as we'd been taught and i felt this incredible sensation it was like physical okay uh, i'm not saying by the way everyone who does this will have that straight yeah, away yeah. at all it was just one of those things and um I couldn't shake it off. I went to bed in, in, in the university uh, where I was staying in the union buildings. Um, it was still there. I was tingling all over. In fact, I was, I was quite worried. I thought, look, what's happening? Is this ever going to stop? What's going on here? But, and it was on and off for several hours. So eventually I got out of bed and walked. This must have been in the early hours of the morning by then. To the, I knew where the person who ran the Buddhist and Vedanta Society lived. And I walked to his house and knocked on his door. The two in the morning. I said, uh, something like that. I said, look, I went to your meeting and I did. Somebody gave this talk and I did the practice and I've had these sensations going on ever since. I can feel this. I can feel like, what, 
is it? I mean, he was a student, this person. He wasn't, you know, he, but he, I don't know. He, he was very nice considering that I was knocking on his door at that time. He said he didn't know. So he, I stayed there. And then the next, he, he pointed me in the direction of John. And um, then I met up with John and found it came through the Ethereum Society, through Dr. King. The tingling did stop, by the way. Okay. It was, but it was, I couldn't throw it off. And that's, that started me on my quest. And then I pretty quickly realized that this did answer all my questions. Okay. Questions that the Dean of Canterbury Cathedral had just not been able to get close to, to be honest. And, and nor had some of the other things I'd looked into by then. And uh, it just went from there. So I haven't introduced the Ethereum Society as you asked me to do at all at the moment. But <laughs> what it is, it's, well, uh, practical it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's a set of teachings and a set of practices designed to help others, serve others. Uh, and it's extremely powerful. And to cooperate with intelligences from beyond this world who have communicated through Dr. George King, whose roots were in the science or the spiritual practice of yoga. Okay, brilliant. That gives us um, that gives us a little chance to to segue into that. So, so Dr. King, he reached these these very high levels, um, but he was already he was already so so many people are born psychic or they have they have uh, some abilities that if you only got to watch TV, you know, there's all these fanciful programs about it. So he was already at, um, in that direction, but then he started doing intensive practices for about yeah. 10. So, so what, how did he get stuck? Because this is after World War II. I mean, this is not even in, well, you know, the yep. lectures on yoga, I'm sure. What, how did he... No, funnily enough, I mean, I heard today that, I mean, the, the health service over here is advocating yoga to help people with their difficulties. So yoga is now, you know, from a health point of view, it is well accepted, but it certainly wasn't when Dr. King started practicing it, which would be 1945 or so, right. somewhere around there. Um, he had been extremely unusual. I mean, I, I will be straight about this. I believe he came from another world. I believe he was not of this earth. I believe he's in that tradition that the Hindus refer to as avatars. So rama krishna others and others from many traditions mm -hmm. not just eastern ones who've come here uh came from another place at another time i mean moses would be another one mm. and controversially i believe jesus would be another one um so there, there are a number but i believe he was already of that ilk as it mm. were but he had still though as he would put it to throw a bridge over the the, the stream of life, as it were, and he had to to find uh, his enlightenment himself in that in this particular life. He couldn't just it wasn't just there. He had to work for it. Okay. Uh, but being extremely unusual, um, you know, I was lucky to 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 be a co-author of his biography recently. So I've spoken to lots of people, including people who knew him. Um, like his sister, for example, who I knew quite well, his late sister, um, who was two years younger than him and his niece and others. And he was never just like uh, an ordinary person. Uh, he was very humble though, and quite shy and quite quiet, but he did have certain, I mean, he was psychic as a child. He had healing power as a child. He had certain unusual experiences uh, of, of um, what you might call powers from time to time in, in the years leading up to and, and after the war. Uh, spiritual powers, I mean by that. Mm. 
But it, it was then that he really applied himself. He found really what he was looking for. I mean, his sister told me that because they were at one point sharing a flat in London uh, that, um, you know, he changed overnight. He found a yogi, oh, yeah. particular yogi. I, I, How did he find this then? How did he? Well, he, I mean, he was on the lookout for it. Okay, like uh, you, yeah. And, and, and so the, the theosophical movement in then was probably bigger than it is now very active and there were a number of visiting yogis i think i can't be absolutely 100 percent sure of this the yogi she was referring to is um shastri uh dr shastri um who was in london have, who did come to london was in london okay. and he definitely studied under him at one point and okay. he had a actually you can still i visited when writing the the biography his um uh the place where he taught which is still there it's still a center now Rough. Uh, you can go there if you're in London. It's in Notting Hill. Um, but that wasn't the only thing he did. I mean, he studied much later under another yogi called Sri Nandi. But he was very much self-driven. I mean, he wasn't dependent on gurus particularly. He did learn from a number of people. He was very active in the spiritualist movement, which also was much bigger then. I would oh, yes. More active then. Like seances uh, and things like that. Exactly. And in England. So and he was a medium himself. Right. He was a healer himself. He, one of his specialities was uh, psychic self-defense. So he, he would perform exorcisms and he was doing he was working in a whole variety. I suppose, whereas if you look at, say, other if I think of two other great 20th century spiritual figures from the East, this one would be Gandhi. Mm -hmm. Another might, might, would be Sivananda. To take those two, Sivananda spent many years training in medicine. So he did what you might call more of a material study as well as his spiritual disciplines. Um, Gandhi, as we know, studied in law as well as being involved in politics. Um, whereas Dr. King's whole study, whole focus all the way through was on the inner planes, which is where his, his mission was focused. Uh, the spiritual planes, and he went at it in the way he went at everything. I mean, one thing I discovered <laughs> from, from all the people I did talk to, particularly those who knew him before I did, because I didn't really get, as it were, close to him until the late 1970s. I knew him in the before then, but I started to get close in the late 70s. And from about 77, I suppose, I talked to him pretty well every day, or saw him, or, or I was with him. And I wanted to know whether people who'd known him when he was younger, uh, whether it was the same Dr. King or whether he changed at some mm. point. And I came to the conclusion that he, he was essentially the same Dr. King, <laughs> the same George King, that he was always that single minded focus. And if he decided to do something, he did it 101 percent. OK, and so just... that was true of yoga. OK, so um, because I came from a Buddhist background and the study of the Buddha is, it's very well documented. I mean, you know, yeah. he was, he left, he was very, born, very rich, left his family, went into the yeah. wilderness, studied with this teacher, studied with that teacher and, you know, did, did all these intense yoga practices and meditation and then achieved enlightenment. And with Jesus, it's those lost years. He, I mean, think we know now through the, through the mystics that he, that Jesus went to study in, um, was it Tibet? Yes, um, and travelled quite extensively. But yes, among the Himalayas, shall we say? Right, it was then. Yeah, uh, the uh, the Tao Press Monastery or something like that. Or... Yeah, and so he did probably ten years of very intense practice, 
because that's but he and so he was a he actually was a healer before and he had yeah especially so and he had powers on the physical plane a lot the master jesus you know he had okay. these, these miracles and different masters have different roles to perform and, okay. and how they can use those powers which you know these are intelligences who if they were given free reign to their true selves could virtually move mountains i mean they could do so many things but they are limited by the karma if you yeah. like of being here and so they they're allocated well you can use your powers in that way because that is your mission that's why you've come to earth and another master might have to work in a different way okay so they all had their own here for a mission so they had their own mission yeah but before they or embarked on this mission they all have to raise kundalini they have to do this as part of probably the karmic balance they have to do intensive practices and again it would depend on their mission i mean i i'm not in a position to be dogmatic mm. and say that every avatar who's ever come here has raised the kundalini to the extent say that dr king did it would depend on the mission uh, uh, it's possible they didn't all need to do that in that life depending how long they were on earth for and what they were required to do but it would be think about it where they're coming from uh, uh, these other planets that they come from which i believe are in this solar system they live a, an entirely elevated life in terms of consciousness i mean they have their own trials as well to deal with in service to others but they are at a very elevated state of consciousness just by nature. That's their state of being. They're coming here and they're born into great, tremendous limitation. And this is not new to the Aetherius Society. I mean, it's depicted, interestingly, if you go back to the Ramayana, when they're talking about Rama, for example, uh, he was born under, as in, in mortal conditions. And this was a terrible limitation for him. Um, so, but their natural innate instinct would be to get back to that higher conscious right. state from which they itself, came. Yeah. yeah, so they will strive, and they did. They and it may be that all of them raised the kundalini in its, in, in its entirety, but I don't know that. But I certainly a number of them did, for sure, and Dr. King certainly did. So, so he's this is after World War Two, and so he's found a yeah. teacher. So he's he's working full. He has a full time job at this time as well. Yes. So he, he, he does, he, he comes home from work and then he does his practices or does he get up early in the morning? How, how does he start? So I should just mention one thing, which is that he was a conscientious objector in the, in the second world war, which is a very difficult thing to be really more than we might think now. I mean, it was really frowned upon by some people and it could damage your career prospects and, and many things. Um, and for him, it was especially difficult because he was by nature a fighter, strangely. Um, and in his childhood, for example, his leaning was towards what you might call pugilistic sports, you know, so fighting sports such as fencing, such as boxing, such as rifle. He was a, a top marksman, uh, quarter staffing, which was an old medieval practice with a long pole, but it was a fighting sport. And, and these were things that he was really good at, that he was drawn to. So uh, for him, it wasn't so much a question of not wanting to go to war. It was a, in fact, he, he, would, he was drawn by the excitement of it in one way. Mm. Uh, it was more, that was more of a sacrifice that was a part of him. And he describes it very brilliantly, I think, that, uh, that said, 
thou shalt not kill. And he let that part win. Those are his words. I let that part win, which I think is a, is a very interesting few words that we could all use, actually. Well, we're all in, in, our, in our lives. Yes. Could, do we let that part win? You know, that's four words I, I try to keep in my mind, let that part win, because sometimes we know what we should do, but we don't want to do it. But if we let that part win, then we'll do it. And I don't speak of someone who's, who's achieved that. <laughs> it's a goal. It's a okay. goal. Okay, so that's so yeah. So that was his background, yeah. So it, 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 and so he made that choice, and during the Second World War, he did take a very dangerous role, which was in the fire service, and and particularly in the Blitz, um, and the bombing in London, and so on. And he did then use as so he was a section leader in the fire service, but he used his psychic abilities to discover sometimes bodies and people knew that he had that ability in the rubble for example to, to know where to go and to direct people um he wasn't I mean, as his sister said he wasn't a t he didn't he wasn't fearful at all if there was a problem he was always the first one in uh, so it wasn't his nature to to retreat as it might be as a more pacific person mm -hmm. uh you know would be more drawn to pacifism he wasn't he was a fighting person but he did it because it it was right. And it was actually stated later by the master theorists that had he not done that, um, it would have been very difficult to use him in the mission that he was used wow. for. Mm. Yeah. So, and he had, a, he had an experience actually in a place called Torrington in Devon, um, where he, I, I believe, I don't know this, I know he had the experience there, that's for sure. But what he was told, I don't know, but it looks to me that that's when he was told uh, not to fight. But I, I'm, I'm, I'm deducing that because he was 20. It was 1939. He said it was a very significant experience that dictated certain moves that he later made. And only Frankenstein off to war, you know, and everything. Yeah, and he wasn't, he was, a, as I mentioned, a, a, a shy person. He came from a agricultural background. And uh, so he wasn't, a, you know, great socializer. Uh, even his sister said, even when she knew him, he was always off in thought and thinking and striving for something higher and not satisfied by things that would satisfy, satisfy a lot of people, satisfied her. He was always looking for something deeper, something more. He had a sense of mission, she said, right from the beginning. Uh, but no, he, nothing would stop him if he made his mind up. I mean, when he later started the Ethereum Society, uh, it was extremely controversial. I mean, to talk about contacts with beings from other worlds, then in the <laughs> 1950s in England, you, he was ridiculed mercilessly for it in the press, as you can imagine. Even now, I mean, I did an interview today on, on Radio Sussex where they've had a lot of UFO sightings. And it's much, I mean, the, the climate has changed immensely. But even today, an interviewer had to ask me, do you think they'd been drinking too much? You know, it's, it, it's, it's pathetic, really. Mm -hmm. um, especially now but on the whole it's a very different climate because most people believe in such things but then it was but nothing my point there is that nothing would stop him he was extremely brave now to your questions to how he regulated his day i can only i mean he hasn't told me and he hasn't told anyone that i know of but certainly the impression i have from him is that the jobs that he did and he did more than one job but one of the jobs he did was driving were simply to, as he put it in those days, uh, to, to pay his way through university. And he'd be asked, 
as he was driving a taxi by a, a client well what do you do uh, uh, you know he said well i'm i'm doing this to pay my way through university they said, oh what university he said the university of life so that was his thing so the job was just there mm-hmm. to, to 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 pay the way i mean he didn't have any income he didn't have any private funds or inherited money or anything like that but he had to help his parents so he he needed to to work but that wasn't his motivating factor so i think what he did from the, what i gather is that he would work whatever was required he lived modestly mm-hmm. um you know in a sort of in a bedsit in london he didn't have materialistic desires. I mean, he did at one point race bikes, for example, in the, he went to the Isle of Man and various places, but he, he didn't, he wasn't a seeker for possessions mm-hmm. um, at all. So I think he would like work for long hours when he needed to, which you can do if you're a taxi driver. I mean, he did have other jobs as well. He was a commissioner at an oil company at one point, but he, he and then if he, he might have say days, to spend in in his yoga i mean i i know of one meditation he did uh in actually in cornwall that lasted for 65 hours uh so that was a little later but that i think was 1955 i believe um but so it would be it wouldn't literally maybe be eight hours every day you know between four and midnight or something but that would be that's how he averaged it out Okay, so what's so this is obviously very intense because I mean very intense, if, yeah. I mean if you if you sit down for an hour in a in meditation class, it's a long time, you know. But should oh, I yeah. give it two hours, maybe you know some people might have done some three hours, maybe. But yeah. to do, you know, to do a, a long eight hours of just do imagine so so imagine if the practice is just meditation, it's just sitting there and not moving. Mm. It's just hard enough, but he didn't. What practices did he do besides that? Well, um, the yoga I'm talking of isn't, just to be clear, just the physical asanas, which a lot of people now seem to think is yoga. Uh, What was then called Hatha yoga, might still sometimes be called Hatha yoga, was just a branch. He did it, but it wasn't by any means his main focus. And by the way, I completely agree with what you just said. I mean, I've only done eight hours of yoga practice once that's because mainly he didn't really want his students doing that and we didn't get much vacation when he was around or holiday time i mean we got some but not a lot he wanted us to work for others that's probably important that's probably important to mention that yeah it's not a podcast to advocate people to know this this is the way of service is now it's something he needed to do for his yes. mission so he and could he had it work for him yeah, yeah. yeah he had to he had to sort of reach that very elevated state that right. he did reach in order to perform his mission um his main focus his favorite think form of yoga was nani yoga which is the yoga of wisdom um but you could only in his eyes anyway really practice that once you'd attained a level of meditation. Uh, and, and he was extremely strict about the meaning of the word meditation. Okay. Actually, through, through his years, he softened, I would say. That'd be my opinion. That as the years, but in later years, he, he would use that word a bit more softly than he did in his early years. But if you read, for example, a book called, which I know you've read, but a book called The Nine Freedoms, and I strongly recommend that book. Uh, It's my favorite book, actually. Mm -hmm. Um, 
you'll you'll see there his commentary and this was be written i believe in 1962 that commentary okay. or somewhere like that the so he's extremely demanding as he is in some of his very early lectures that you can also get they're brilliant lectures on man's mind on you know develop your clairvoyant powers on uh, imagination your only creative faculty some of those uh, lectures that he gave they were given in those very early years in the early 60s and i sense that in that period he believed and it's 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 heartwarming really he believed that lots of people could do this you know, he had tremendous faith in people and what they might do and their potential. He never lost it, by the way. But he did, I and this is my observation, realize as the years went by that other people were not going to do what he did. And, uh, you know, they weren't going to get to those levels. And well, you know, so, what he did, he didn't even go to an ashram, did he? I mean, he, might, he did the no. center of London, I mean. Yeah, you know, the Buddha was on a mountain. Jesus was in a monastery. You know, all your meals yeah. are taken care of. Yeah, you know, he to do it in the middle of a city is like, you know, he didn't even go, didn't even go to the countryside for five years, did he? I mean, it's that's, just mind-boggling. That's it is mind-boggling. So many I mean, temptations, you know. No, I mean, his he had um, a major Kundalini rise, for example, in Waterloo in London. If anyone knows Waterloo, I mean, it's, it's even now, it's not a most uh, sort of spiritual elevated environment, but uh, that's where he had it. And he had, and it was so strong. He had to run for hours after this rise. And this is during the years we're talking about in order just to control it, because he was learning not just to raise it, but to control it. And he they did rip the doors off the, off the telephone. Uh, you're right. Yes. He, he wanted to phone his mother who, who was, you know, quite seriously ill. I mean, she could have died and he went to a phone box and those they in those days had these big old metal people won't even know what a phone box is now. I do remember phone boxes, but he'd, he'd pulled the door and the whole door came off. Now that was just because he had this supernormal strength because of the Kundalini rise. Mm -hmm. Um, but he, you know, he had to control. I, I think one of the miracles about the years we're talking about, which is sort of, I suppose, 50 up to 54 or five, really, mm -hmm. um, is that he remained balanced, stable, coped with life because nobody else around him was doing this. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I, one thing I've studied quite a bit, as I think, you know, is mediumship. Mm -hmm. And I've come across a lot of mediums and i've looked into a lot of mediums even the greats like alice bailey and so on and i've come to the conclusion that nobody at all practiced mediumship in the way that he did which was a kundalini version form as it were of mediumship i honestly don't believe most mediums including me know where the kundalini is exactly <laughs> while they're channeling or 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 work you know being a medium but he he, he and that was a prerequisite but that's just one illustration so he it was those early years that enabled him to bring that kind of control and he wasn't distracted by the things that men in their all of us really men and women in their early life are looking for you know completely celibate no? a partner yeah a, a family maybe um, parties um, a successful career Nothing. He was only focused on finding out the truth as he saw it, which he could only find through realization.
Okay. So he did, so this, 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 this deep meditation, but to get to that and still have to, because a lot of mediums, like I said, they, you know, they have superb powers, but they, they gifted it. They don't do exercises to develop it even further. They, they stay at that level, you know, they plateau. So, yeah. but he, you know, he was already, he could already do seances and things like that. So then he, he did these intensive practices. So what kind of things would he do sitting in his room? Uh-huh. So he, he would be doing, uh, and by the way, in his book, from his point of view, mediums who don't do practices cannot be relied on. That's him speaking, not me. Uh, doesn't mean that they won't sometimes get good things. They might. Right. can happen. But they can also influence it. They won't have the control and the, and the degree of concentration necessary to sustain it and their own mind will creep in unwittingly, not deliberately. They're well-intended. He, he, he thought it was a requirement actually uh, to have yoga or some form of equivalent training to be a medium, but that's diverting a bit. Um, yeah. He, so he was doing a lot of pranayama, which is breathing exercises. This was absolutely key to him. Uh, he was doing a lot of mantra yoga. That's one of his specialities. And he would, discover the sounds to him and he he had a view of mantra which again i haven't come across put so simply anywhere else it maybe it has been but i haven't come across it which is that the that mantra is an invocation of sound okay. more than words sound vibrations. And it's the sound vibrations and it's the effect that sound has on the ethers so um you know the the words and the meaning of the words and the words in a mantra do have meanings mm-hmm. don't really get close to the real meaning the, the the real meaning can only be discovered when you you make when it's chanted in the right way with the right sound so what does these vibrations have an effect on the body well the the various things first of all you can use mantra to to help others and we do that in the etheric society a lot in sending out healing because you because you can uh, draw to yourself spiritual power which you can then channel through you and out either for the world to help mm. sufferers from covid or for example recently we were doing a lot with the lebanon crisis it's a form of prayer you might say when it's used like that no, these, but these, are, these are Sanskrit mantras, we should say. These are Sanskrit so mantras. It's a special yeah. vibration of sound. It's, it's, it's the vibration. And why the sound is so important was he would settle with those mantras on how a particular mantra should be chanted to get the correct sound, to have the right interaction. It's almost abstract at that point. It's no longer about what the word means at all, you know, as a word. Cause it's like, yeah. you're going, you're going to break a glass with the vibration where yes. you can start an avalanche, but exactly. these, these words are, e- these sounds are even more special because they relate to yeah. our chakras and our, and it'd be something you you'd relate to with music as well, sure. but yes, they would relate to chakras and also, of course, certain mantras are done silently, uh, in, in there's, there's more than one way of doing them silently. Um, and he would do that. It depends what level you want to have an effect on. So he would say, if you're doing a mantra aloud, you're having an effect on the physical environment. Uh, if you're doing it in certain other ways, you might have, and, and, and silently, you might have an effect on the mental or the psychic or 
the spiritual environment and your internal environment. Right. Uh, I know when I developed psychic abilities and when I started to do that, that was one of the main things that I did, So I, that, which was silent mantra. Um, and, and that can have quite an effect on you internally. So how do the, you... the key thing is control. I should just quickly say that it's not just activating powers. It's using them in the right way for others and controlling them. And so can you, you have to still your mind completely. You just focusing on the mantra. Absolutely. I mean, concentration to him is, is step one. You know, he had a, a three-step path and it's outlined also in the nine freedoms. The nine freedoms is a text delivered by an intelligence who has a code name or a pseudonym, which is Mars Sector 6. And it's, it's outstanding. And then he comments, comments on it. In my opinion, uh, sometimes the commentary by Dr. King is more advanced, <laughs> in a way, than the text itself. Right. Uh, that's my view. As, uh, um, in other words, he, his, and we're talking, as I said earlier, about sort of 1962. His standards were so high that he immediately takes it in his commentary off to a very high level indeed. Um, and the text sometimes isn't, sometimes uh, doesn't have to be read in such a rigorous way. Um, and I think that is because of his, his innate advancement. And that's partly because of those 10 years uh, where he did that, which I haven't found actually, Jack, anybody else in the West who's, even claimed to have done that so yes. you know it's a one-off and to do it in, in the you know when you're between what 25 and 35 you're kind of really vigorous you're fit mm. you, you you devote your energy not to material things not to relationships not to you know okay his mother was alive and he saw her and father but he wasn't a massive family person you know he was fine he had a sister but he focused his energies right internally on Raja yoga, which is control of the mind and control of your psychic powers and abilities. Nani yoga, back to yoga to some degree through the mantra, which is devotional. But I, I would say that Raja yoga and Nani yoga were his two favorite yogas. And then he threw himself later into Kundalini yoga. But he didn't recommend people to do that because right. it could be quite dangerous. He, he mentioned, the way he did it. He mentioned that he, because he wasn't the only person. I, obviously, he wasn't the only person in London doing it at that time because he says that one of his friends is, was in a wheelchair afterwards. Yeah. I, I've met people. I don't know whether it's true. I met a gentleman at the Theosophical Society who's quite a bit older than me, if you can imagine that at all. And he said that, uh, you know, he, he did it and he couldn't walk for a while. And if you're doing those, because some of those sorts of exercises are physical that they're physical ways of forcing kundalini um, up mm. the spine. And um, they, they use, well, I won't, you know, they use vigorous types of breathing and um, physical pre internal pressures. So locks to like do it. And, uh... Yeah. I mean, you could, they're around. I mean, they're out there now. I mean, and there are some Korea yoga exercises that are out there that, probably shouldn't be out there but they are and i would just give a warning with that you know you can raise the kundalini i mean there's a methodology for example in the book realize you're in a potential which i i, I was honored to co-author but it's his book and the practices that he knew and used 
Um, and it, the, there is a Kundalini visualization there, but it's based on visualization. It's not based on force. And even then, uh, the, you know, one needs to take certain precautions in doing it. And he was very careful. That's the only exercise actually in that book that he hesitated to put in at all. But it, it isn't a physical Kundalini yoga exercise where you're physically trying to force that. Because the danger, Jack, it would be that you would succeed um, and, yeah. and you, you wouldn't be able to get it back down again. Right, right. I Does think, it, sorry. You have people, a lot of concentration. To... You do. I mean, I must say, you know, the, the people that I have met, uh, and I've met teachers and, stu and people who say they're students, um, I don't, I've never found them to be doing what I would regard as proper Kundalini yoga. They call it that, and it isn't that to me. And so if you're doing that kind of so-called Kundalini yoga, you'll be quite safe because it isn't going to work. Really. <laughs> um, okay. That is when you, you actually come across one of... A good teacher. Yeah, or a, well, a good teacher probably wouldn't, you know, they wouldn't give it to you uh, unless you're under their tutelage and in their personal presence. Because mm. you have to be able to concentrate on a fish scale or a postage stamp for, for eight hours yeah. without, without getting up and going to the toilet or thinking of another thing. Yeah. Well, if you can do that, and, and, and who can do that? I mean, but if you can, you're way on the way, I mean, because it brings us back to the mediumship thing, actually, because if you've got a good grounding in concentration, and I personally wouldn't recommend a postage stamp or fish scales, I would say do a mantra if you know one, or, or do the 12 blessings, or do some prayer, or concentrate on a positive affirmation. You might as well, if you're going to put your time into it, concentrate yeah, on something that's useful and productive. Yeah, right? yeah. Um, but to have that fixity is extremely rare. And so when you, when you start to get elevated experience, even in my limited experience, when I've started to get higher intelligences and I'm trying to be able to receive communications from them, there is an instinctive, you know, the some yogas would call it sattvic. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a sense of peace and bliss that can envelop you. And it's very nice but it, it can make your concentration wander and you can just relax into it. If you're not careful, mm -hmm. stop concentrating. And that's when some mistakes can creep in. Strangely enough, it's, it's, it's sort of, so it's trying to stay focused. And in his case, he was overshadowed just to name one, the master Jesus. And it, you know, he doesn't get, I mean, the very essence of that being is beautiful. And can, what, can you imagine being overshadowed by such an intelligence? And to remain, that's where you need your grounding, your concentration. And he had it uh, because of all those years of training. Yeah. So because also the, when I'm doing mantra or, or, or deep breathing, you get to deep thinking because yes, you get, you're, you know, you'll get, when you're just sitting there meditating, you, can, you turn the brain off. And, but when you're doing these exercises, these exercises, you're actually getting better ideas. So you grab onto them and hold, oh, I will do with this and I'll do that. So it's, it's, even it's a strange thing there. It's, you're right. I agree. And it's a strange thing that, cause you mentioned, you know, the sort of meditation, you sort of turn your brain off and so on. And that's how it's in mindfulness and so on. And it we could be good for your health. 
yeah. but it's not meditation in, in the way that Dr. King saw it at all. Meditation, uh, it, it might be a, a way of sort of stilling the mind and feeling calm and dealing with stress. And I've taught it myself at times, but it's not the meditation that Dr. King spoke of. Meditation that he spoke of came right down the line. So you have this intense concentration. When you've developed that, he would say, then you can start to go to the next stage, which is contemplation. Um, and the next stage beyond that to Dr. King was meditation. Now, in that way, he was stricter than, for example, Swami Sivananda. And Swami Sivananda was really strict. But, uh, you know, he was Dharana, Dhyana, Samadhi. The, and it's the Dhyana, if I pronounce that right, stage, the second stage, uh, which they refer to as meditation very often. But to Dr. King, the only true meditation was Samadhi. I must say, though, as I said earlier, he did sort of compromise on that more as he got older. And I do remember, for example, when I was in Los Angeles, he, he would send some of us into the temple to meditate on this or that. And he wasn't expecting us all to raise a kundalini to the right <laughs> sense. So he, he did change. But in those early days, he was no nonsense. And I think that's because he really thought what he'd done, others could do. It, it was yeah. a, probably a shock to him when he found, well, actually, it is extremely unusual. And he is really unusual. So, so most people today, the most popular, you know, 99% of people are doing a meditation meditation which is not meditation as we just said they're having a concentration practice so they're concentrating yeah. Yeah. on on their breath or they're watching yeah. they're watching a one of these listening to one of these meditation tapes yeah just just concentrating and trying to still the mind and everyone's yeah. focused on this stilling the mind so yeah but what dr king did is he increased the voltage with these practices of the he did and he had a different i mean uh, what comes down to it was his motivation because a lot of people now are turning to meditation and mindfulness and yoga as a sort of adjunct to improve their life. And that really means their material life, their emotional life, even possibly their career life. So they can function better. So businesses are you. Yeah. yeah. So their goal isn't a truly spiritual goal right. necessarily. doesn't mean it's bad. It might be good, it might not, but it, it's not the same goal. It's not, whereas to him, yoga, the meaning of the word yoga was union with God. Right. Union with Brahma, if you like, union with that. And that's what he was seeking. Okay. Uh, to contact his higher self through yoga. And he called his, I think his, I think it was his first book, Contact Your Higher Self Through Yoga. Um, that was a reflection of those years that he'd, he'd been. I mean, he, those are practices in that book that he didn't invent. Uh, he modified them from what he'd been taught, made them safer than what he'd been taught, and added, I think brilliantly added aspects such as affirmations to them. So they work, and then people could use them safely. Um, but he never saw, to him, yoga, if you'd said to him, well, yoga's a good thing to help you with... Um, you know, a stressful day at the work. No, that wasn't how he looked at it. No. Or to, you know, to tone up your body so you'll be more attractive or even healthier, which is, you know, I'm not saying that's bad, but it's not the aim and that's not why it was devised. Okay. And all so, the yogas would say that, by the way. I mean, sure. Shivananda, Yogananda, Vivekananda, I love them all. <laughs> and they, uh, and they, they'd all say it. Uh, they, uh, I mean, you know, Shivananda is uncompromising. I mean, it wasn't about that, but it's become. 
Uh, so it's partly a good thing and partly not, I suppose, the way it's gone. It's a good thing. More people know about it. More people use it. But it's also been, uh, I don't want to say debased because that would be wrong, but it's been brought down. Uh, mm -hmm. People don't realize that they've lost track and they possibly don't even know about the elevated aspects of it. So it's what it's really there for. Sorry. Sure. Sorry. So if, um, if someone was doing an hour meditation in, you know, and the really the return on investment compared to the practices Dr. King did are very minimal compared to if you just sit there and. Well, look, I, I, I certainly don't want to sound discouraging, so I, I, don't get me wrong. I'm sure there's a lot of people doing these practices who are on a spiritual quest and, and that's great. And, uh, you know, it can work. And an hour, if you did an hour a day. It would be, I think, fantastic. I think it would be very rewarding. I mean, as you know, our focus now in the Ethereum Society is primarily service. That's what we believe in. That's the greatest yoga to us of all of them. And Dr. King said that. It's right. greater than Raja yoga. It's greater than Nani yoga. You, those, but, but he also said that the other things can help you in your, in your service. And they'll help you with your motivation too. Because, you know, it's quite a difficult thing to be motivated uh, in this in this world with all the subliminal messages that are coming at us from all over the place in, in the world by a spiritual force or a desire to serve humanity or desire to serve others and so doing those practices will help i think it's essential i mean i do breathing exercises every day and a lot of people i know do and uh, you know I, I i find it necessary for myself but it's not my it's not my sort of goal but it's a wonderful thing. I look forward to it. And some people say, well, I'm so busy. I'm rushed. I'm here. I'm there. But you're not. I mean, you do your teeth. You have breakfast. You can, you can, do, you can do it. But I, I wouldn't say that an hour a day is it. And it very much depends what that hour is composed of. What I would suggest to people who are perhaps listening to this, who are spending an hour a day in yoga, is to break up that hour. And it can still be yoga so that some of it is service orientated some of it is sending healing to others for example in this pandemic whatever you believe the pandemic is or isn't certainly people need healing and that or, or to send it for the betterment of the world or if you like for animals or whatever you decide you can send energy out i think if you try that i've certainly tested this it will improve your development as well the other half that you spend on your own development Will, will be better right. than if you're doing it all for yourself. Well, Dr. King was very big on that. He was also really studying out. He used to, his friends, he would tell them off for spending hours meditating, saying you can send out energy through your palm of your hand and your, your, your heart chakra into a hospital mm. uh, instead of just sitting there trying to find your hot, own mind. Yeah. yeah, very hot on it. And he used to tell the story of the person... Um, you know, who walked on, on water. I think Macdonald Bain was a mystic, I think from South Africa, who um, traveled in India. We're cutting the long story short. He, uh, he, he was taken there by his own teacher, who I think was Tibetan, I believe. And they came across one of these uh, yogis who, who developed the ability to walk on water, which isn't, you know, unknown. I mean, it, Jesus practiced it, but it was practiced by certain yogis. And it took him 10 years. The, the, the teacher asked him, so how long did it take you to learn that ability? He said, 10 years. And he could demonstrate it. 
And the yogi said to him, and you've saved yourself one penny on the ferry. <laughs> so get back, give healing, teach. Yeah. And apparently this, this yogi did. He listened, he thanked him, he changed immediately. The next time he was seen was in the marketplace, healing, teaching. He was, he'd lost that. Who, who said it to him? Who was in there? So, so McDonald Bain was the writer. It's okay. a, this, this is a, this, I don't know. I'm guessing it might be the 1930s or forties. I'm not sure. Something like that. The story Dr. King used to tell. Okay. And he went to meet his own teacher. I remember it well because McDonald Bain had written a lot of books sort of metaphysical books and i i knew a lady who was a member of the society who was who who knew him and he was quite a well-known mystic really and he went over he was guided by a, a tibetan i think he was tibetan certainly himalayan and he went over to meet him um for the first time physically meet him he'd had communication okay. projections and um I think just telepathic communication, I think. I don't know if he projected okay. there before. But anyway, he went to meet him. He did meet him. And he was quite nervous. And his first words to his teacher were something like, well, you know, I've, I've written a lot of books on so-and-so and so-and-so. And the teacher <laughs> apparently looked at him and said, uh, but that doesn't really matter, does it? <laughs> and he stopped and he said, no, I suppose it doesn't. And, and from then he learned from him. And in their travels, they met the yogi who walked on water. Gosh. Yeah, I know you've studied a lot. You've read a lot of autobiography of a yogi and those stories. Oh, yeah. I'm totally into I mean, I love that. I love it all. I'm a round peg in a round hole on that kind <laughs> of a topic. And I was quite fortunate, actually, to uh, be able to talk sometimes to the, to, to what I call him the master, but to Dr. King about such topics, which wasn't that common because if you look at it from Dr. King's point of view, if you had a spiritual or metaphysical conversation with him, it ended up as a lecture by him. So it wasn't like a two-way, you know, exchange of views. He didn't really need of my views or many people's views. <laughs> so um, I was quite fortunate because a lot of people I knew said, gosh, I wish I'd had. I mean, I'll, I'll give you one example, if you like. Uh, I, was, I was in Santa Barbara where he lived, and this was the latter part of his life. Um, to be the 1990s. He wasn't in the best of health. Um, and I, I went over there and I was into a book at the time called, uh, because one thing in the Ethereum Society, we don't say, look, the, the Ethereum Society books are the only books you should read. Or I, I, To me, they're the greatest by far to me. But I also read many other interesting. I was looking at the Ramayana today, actually, briefly. Um, there's a lot of interesting things out there. And there's one book called Nature's Finer Forces, which he recommends in The Nine Freedoms, actually. And in it is a practice, which actually Sivananda refers to as well, called the shadow practice. Okay. The only trouble with that practice is that you do need a sunny day to do it. It's and watching the shadows. It's watching the shadows. You know it. You know I've heard you mention this. Oh, okay. So I was doing this in his garden. Uh, and he every day he'd be given healing by two or three, whoever it might be. It might be, if I was fortunate enough to be called, I'd be one, or it might be some, one or two others. And, and then he'd go for a rest in the afternoon. He called it a rest, but in that all sorts of things could happen. He could project, he could whatever. So you didn't disturb him. And it, it usually lasted, it could be half an hour, wouldn't be less. It could be longer. So we'd put him to bed, as we put it. I, I was there, it was like 
2 or 2 30 in the afternoon sun was there perfect i walked around the side of his little bungalow there and i was doing the shadow practice through which you can know the three times you have to do a certain mantra 108 times and so on within one or two minutes he got up walked out walked round, looked at me standing there and said that's it boy keep watching the shadows walked away went back to his rest I hadn't told him. I was even. I even knew this book. I had it. I was. Pre- I told him nothing about it at all. So later that evening, um, I was having a a drink and a chat with him on his little deck in his garden before dinner. So I thought, well, I'll tell him this. You know, I'll, I'll tell him this. What I was doing. I said I was doing this, and you came out. You said this, and it was exactly what I was doing, and. He didn't bat an eyelid. He didn't say, yes, I know, or really, or it just listened. And then he started talking about this book. Okay. And he referred to the years you're talking about. And he said, there was a time when I first came across that book, when I wanted to devote my whole life to it, to live it. Because it's not the whole book, actually. It's a Sanskrit text inside that book. And it does tell you how to you know, lead your life fully. It's a very much um, a sort of yogic Bible of itself. And through it, you can fully realize yourself. He said, but I realized to live that book, I'd have to either be a millionaire. And this was then in those mm-hmm. days. So I, I could just do that because it's very prescriptive. You know, Tuesday morning, you have to do that. Wednesday at this time, you do this. And it's, you, know, you have to follow it exactly. Mm-hmm. Or I said, I'd have to just drop out and become virtually a tramp. And I wasn't going to do that. And he talked and on, on we went, talked about many things. And on it was going. And then somebody was cooking dinner and came out. And, and asked the question, or oh, said, what well, dinner's ready, or what's that effect? And he just looked at me and said, what's food, really, you know? <laughs> and so the, the person, because we're in the middle of this really elevated conversation, it was, certainly wasn't the fault of the cook at all, uh, not at all. In fact, the, on, the, on the contrary, he then you know, realized this was not really fair. So we went in. And then he made a point of telling me off. So you distracted me. Look at the hard work the cook, this person's been cooking away. <laughs> and that was fine by me. I said, sorry, my, my mistake. But it just goes, I could see there how it had been for him, where he, he was, wasn't interested in anything other than that focus on that path that he'd been on in those days. Because I'm sure he would have loved to. Uh, he, you know, he said he didn't want to be his brother's keeper. And it really was to have to be responsible for humanity is, is a lot on your shoulders. I mean, you'd love to take yeah. it a few, a few. That's true. I mean, he, he did see, he's very honest about that. When he first heard, you know, when he first realized that service was what he had to do, he didn't, uh, it was like slightly disappointing to him in a way. It was, that wasn't what he really wanted, but boy, did he, he says that, but at the same time, even in those years, there are so many accounts that he gives of where he helped a person through exorcism, through healing, through mm-hmm. mediumship. He, he was focused even prior to, to his contacts in the Ethereum Society. He was focused on building up a healing circle. Right, was, yes. So he, he really was orientated to service, actually. But, you know, he was also drawn in those years because he was, he was on the quest for full enlightenment and he found it. I mean, he gained 
cosmic consciousness, which is as high as it gets. I, I don't know what year he gained it, but those years were critical, uh, you know, in paving the way for him to do that. It's probably important to realize that an hour when he started practicing at, at that genius is not equivalent to is equivalent to 10 minutes later or whatever in the back, you know, he accelerated. So what would have taken him, that's true. What would have taken him, you know, a day to do in the first year might, he might be able to do it 10 minutes after five years. So he's accelerating all the time. Yes. And, and when he entered Samadhi, you know, Samadhi in order to take a transmission, sometimes he'd be given just one or two minutes notice. I mean, he, and he had to sit down and do it very quickly. Once he was reprimanded actually, one occasion by Saint Guling for forcing it too much. Um, Saint Guling being an ascended master of this earth, um, because it's not good for him to do that for his own well-being, but he could do it as you rightly. You're absolutely right. And, and the other thing I would also throw in here is that experience can't be measured in time. I know that may sound like a platitude, but it's it's really important. I mean, you can have like seven minutes. I mean, there's something that you know about and I know about, which is, uh, and I don't want to divert from your topic, but it's known as the initiation of earth and people who are interested can look into that. But that in that actual initiation, I believe the time that it actually took to do was seven minutes, the actual time when energy was being poured into earth. The reason I mention that is because those seven minutes were more valuable in experience terms in the history of this earth than possibly hundreds, thousands, or even millions of years. And, and that principle applies in yoga. You, you know, you can have an elevated experience, which can take place, you know, in a relatively short amount of time on the clock, but it's a thousand years of experience. If, if you get it right, and that's a big if, but if you really get it right, yeah. Because he was a bad, I mean, he'd be a bad thing all the time. I mean, yeah. Like first in the, how, how, I mean, you mentioned that meditation he did in Cornwall, this was it two, 65 two, hours. Yeah. And, and he held his breath. There was no breathing in that time. Uh, I'm not saying that I haven't heard that he was, there was no breathing uh, in okay. that time. Uh, it's possible. Oh, I might've missed it, but, um, I, I, it's possible. Certainly he could hold his breath and he did hold his breath for long periods. Yes, he did. So in the beginning, he would, you know, he's doing all these brandy on the breath holds. Just it's all about increasing the prana in the body. Yeah? So you, yeah, and excuse me, he would use uh, various forms of uh, of breathing exercise to 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 draw energy in. But his main focus, I mean, he honed in on Kundalini in a way that I find quite unusual. It's not unique. I mean, there are other masters who've honed in on Kundalini. That's for sure. But he saw that he was a very scientific person, so he he could see that you know the journey of the individual as being measured in the journey of of the Kundalini uh, within and through the chakras to the highest chakra, and that, as far as he was concerned, is the only reason that we on Earth are here to to master and control that force. Uh, you don't actually need to do Kundalini yoga to do that. You don't, I would even say this, you don't have to have even heard of Kundalini mm. to be harnessing it, using it and raising it. I mean, there are people in the West uh, who hadn't heard of Kundalini in that particular life. And I, one would be Wordsworth, 
who clearly were having experiences that were Kundalini experiences and, and, and breathlessness and um, all kinds of things. But they, they didn't have, as we would now, the reference to Eastern teaching to, to draw. They were just doing it. Maybe they'd done it in a former life. Maybe you can have a realization at any given moment, but you just might not know it's Kundalini. Right. So it's because yeah, well, this cosmic consciousness of uh, actually it's universal. People. It's yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It can just happen spontaneously, and you, you realize the oneness of everything. Or just I mean, <laughs> talking about incredible, talking about incredible experiences like that. Uh, you, you can't put it. Cosmic consciousness is, is, you know, sort of something that's bandied about quite a lot and doesn't mean it isn't great. I mean, Yogananda had an, a cosmic consciousness experience, which I think is, is clearly different. And I believe Yogananda would be the first to say this uh, from the one that Dr. King described. It's still a great experience, though, very elevated. It was actually induced by his, uh, his own guru. Um, so there are all kinds of degrees and levels of these things. Um, Dr. King himself mastered it. You know, he, he, he sort of got it down to an absolute, he could almost like switch it on and off. And he, he was intrigued by the science of it, I think, as well. He actually did say you don't have to take that approach to it. Right. But I think he thought you, you'd gain more if you did. I'm sure he thought that. Yeah. But it's not recommended, but we should still do practices like King Yoga. We should do practices, yeah. I mean, King Yoga, I mean, in, in the book, Realize You're in the Potential, uh, I think those exercises in there, and I don't say this because I'm, I'm an author, because I want to repeat that this book was, um, you know, it's Dr. King's book. I was just very lucky to be asked by him to write it with him. Um, the exercises, and there's over 40 of them, there's 42 of them, I believe, are absolutely superb. I mean, they are just fantastic. They, they are, some of them are ancient yoga practices. Some are new age teachings that have been delivered through Dr. King. Some are his own uh, inventions or devices, you know, based on his wisdom and his mm -hmm. knowledge. And they really, really work. Um, and, you know, I had some very in interesting experiences while writing that book. I mean, I'd, I'll give you one example, uh, which, again, shows, tells you something about Dr. King. I was, um, I was introduced to a mantra, which is called the Brahma mantra. But it's not in that book, but I was introduced to it by a friend of mine who, who'd got hold of a very old Sanskrit book. And he, he had a whole collection, this friend. He's in the Aetherius. He was, he's, he's, he's passed on now. I'm sure he still is in the Aetherius Society. But that was clear. And he showed me that, that mantra uh, in the book. And I started practicing it. And I had a dream some while later where, in which Dr. King told me of. I was in England at the time. He was in America at the time when I had the dream because I was flying to and fro a lot in that period and speaking to him, as I said, every day. And in the dream, he told me off. He said, you should not have done that, this mantra, the mantra, without my permission. Mm -hmm. So I woke up and I stopped doing it. And then I, w I was in America and we were working on realize your inner potential together and going through which mantras were in the book. And 
in the course of it, he mentioned the Brahma mantra. So that was my opportunity. So once again, I said, I told him about it. I didn't tell him, friend, I didn't want to get the chap into trouble who'd given me this mantra because it shows how strict he was on mantra. It has to be conveyed by initiation right. by someone within, within whom that mantra lives, or it's unfortunate both for the person who gives it and the person who receives it. So he, he said, I told him the whole story. And I said, I had this dream. You told me off in the dream. I haven't used it since. Again, he didn't bat an eyelid. He didn't say, yes, I know. No, I don't really. That's a, nothing like that. It was just looked at me quite still. And I knew him very well. Don't forget by then. He said, um, say it now. So I said, it's quite a long mantra if you do the whole thing. I, I said the whole thing as best I could. And he corrected me on the pronunciation of one word. And that word, that syllable, actually, you wouldn't really pronounce the way he did it if you just read it. And this, is, this bears on the point I said earlier about the sound of the mantra. And so and then I said it again in the way he told me. And he just nodded. And I took it from that, that I had, so I use it now. <laughs> it's a, an interesting little insight into his strictness about mantra. I was actually surprised he put five mantras in that book. I, uh, Brian Kniep, who was helping, and I asked for two mantras to go in that book because you'd normally give them. We knew his approach to mantra, which is a brilliant approach, actually, uh, and, and an ancient approach that somebody must, con you can only convey a, an advanced teaching if you if you know it yourself, at least to a certain level. Because there are a lot Otherwise, of you can't. There's yeah. a karmic implications. There's a karmic implication. And you might be the best orator in the world, and there's plenty of people giving out mantras who don't, they don't live within them, uh, and they don't understand or appreciate this law at all, which, which actually proves it's not living within them, actually. And they, or maybe there may be certain cases where they just break that. I don't know, but they're giving it out and they shouldn't be. And, and if it lives within you though, it, it you might not be a very good communicator, but it lives within you. The essence of the teaching is carried. I mean, the ancient Tibetans knew that, for example, they wouldn't, they weren't looking for like someone who's qualified teacher who's the best speaker. Who's the best. They were looking for the person who's, demonstrated that lesson in their life that's the person who can continue. we know that i mean if you think about painting i i'm not an artist my wife is but you know if you had the choice you wanted to learn painting and you tell well, look there's this there's this fantastic scholar at university london who, who he knows the history of art backwards and sideways and you know he can tell you everything you want to know about the brush and the everything the pastels and that you name it or Rembrandt. You can go to Rembrandt, who was apparently very short-tempered, very difficult, not very helpful to some of his students. They say, who would you choose? <laughs> Rembrandt. Why? Because he knows, he's, de he's demonstrated a, you know, a genius. Yeah. And it, that's the principle, I think. But it must, might be hard for people to understand because mantra in our current society doesn't, hasn't been, it's not accepted to the same level as the benefits of meditation. But I've heard there's some people who... Mm -hmm. When a mantra lives within you, if, if you hear somebody saying it wrongly or badly, it can cause you physical pain. Is that right? Or is that... 
It certainly can be um, unpleasant, uh, and, and especially if it's said disrespectfully. And that might not be that the person means to say it disrespectfully, but they don't really appreciate what they're doing. And I have come across that. I haven't come across it so much in the Ethereum Society because we, you know, we've been taught by Dr. King and he's very strict on it. But I have been to various festivals and events and people are perhaps glib and they're taking it for granted. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know what it's like if you really venerate, if you revere something that's worth venerating and worth revering, it'll mean much more to you. You'll get much more value from it yourself. And that's certainly true of mantra. The more you respect it, the more you cherish it, the more powerful it will be in your life. Yeah, I think that's, it must be really hard for somebody to grasp. Like Pranayana, you could yeah. understand, you know, that if you've been holding yeah. your breath for 20 minutes, then, you know, that the energy is flowing into you. But to understand that you can calibrate the chakras and all, you know, do all that has all this powerful effect on your auric structure is. It's hard. It must be hard to grasp, you know. If you haven't it's hard it. to grasp. But what I would say to people who are finding it hard to grasp is that you can experience it. Okay. You know, it might not happen immediately, but if you keep on, you will in one way or another. It might not be the way you particularly want. It might not be in the way that is, you know, you might be told in a particular Kriya Yoga school that, look, when you're really advanced, you, you won't need to breathe for five minutes or you, know, you might be given these little things. But that might not be the thing you need. You might find that actually doesn't happen. And you think, gosh, I'm not doing very well. But in the meantime, though, you're developing tremendous healing powers, which matters far more. So, you know, it'll, it'll come in many different ways. I mean, as I mentioned, I do channeling. I've, always, I've done it for decades. But I don't suggest particularly that people do that. It's just something that I did. And... Um, I still do from time to time, but you know, you don't have to do that. I mean, but for most people, healing, pranayama, mantra, there are many other practices that will be really effective in your life and it will lead you to where you need to go. It might, I mean, the best thing that can happen is that it makes you more inspired to take to the spiritual path and give you the strength to carry on on that path and not be deflected by the many signals and the massive confusion, even in the spiritual world that's out there. By the spiritual world, I mean in the movement, in the in, in the set of sets of teachings that are available and the claims that are made. You know, you have to be able to discriminate because otherwise they can't all be true because no. <laughs> they contradict each other. So you yeah, and, and if you don't know, I mean, uh, you know, somebody might come across the Ethereum Society. I wouldn't expect them to take my word for it or your word for it. They don't have to do that. They just keep an open mind and they might come across something else that they don't know. But if you, if you keep on and if you use the practices, sooner or later, you'll know. You'll be able to discriminate. Your intuition will guide you and your logic will guide you. And you'll say, oh, okay, that's got substance. I mean, that's one of the things I love about Dr. King's teachings, actually, and the teachings that were delivered through him is that they are, you know, they, they, they have tremendous reservoirs of depth. You know, you keep mining and you find, my God, a whole layer of, you know, we've gone through the gold. Now we're on to something, the platinum or what, you know, whatever it might be. It, they go on and you find, uh, I, I'm, I'm discovering things and I'm thinking, my goodness, why didn't I realize that? I've, I've read that book 
for, you know, decades. And I've just seen this. Well, I've, read, I've, seen, I've seen what it means now. Sorry. I read Nature's Finest Forces and I couldn't find the practice that you mentioned. I did look for it. Okay. It's in the Sanskrit text. I must admit there's a lot of philosophy. I think it's by Rama Prasad yeah. in that book, which can be quite heavy going maybe. It's but very it, heavy it, going. Okay, thank you. But I, so I don't, to be honest, I'm interested in the concept of tattvas, but I don't really get into that. I go straight. I don't use it now, but I used to go straight to the text, the Sanskrit text uh -huh. on which it's based. I think speak it's Sanskrit. Say again. You could speak the Sanskrit or you? No, no, it's, it's translated Sanskrit. in that book. If you've got a good edition, I mean, I, I think it's unusual in that I think the Rama Prasad writing comes at the beginning. I think I'm right in saying, right. and that the actual Sanskrit text on which it's all based possibly comes later. Oh. I don't know, but it's in there and it's not nearly as long as the, as the Rama Prasad commentary and it is translated oh, and that's what I that go bit. to. That's not by him. It's another document that he, he found. Ah, uh, maybe I didn't have yeah. that. It's, yeah. it's, it's a very complicated, it's, it's a very advanced. It is. I mean, as Dr. King said, you can't really practice it now um just to be practical you couldn't do it all now but it's still quite revealing i mean i i must be honest when i look at those things and i don't do it so much as i used to um i always come back though to pretty well to the nine freedoms for me right, because right. it goes further than all of them and it's for our time it's for our, it's for our time but it's uh, you know in my view obviously i'm giving my opinion here for me it it goes further than all of them do I, I factor into it that the commentary by Dr. King, although it's very explanatory, it's quite brilliant. It's also fairly advanced. And this is one of the things about Dr. King. He was extremely advanced, possibly partly because of those 10 years. He, he was coming at it from a very advanced place. So when he's talking about bravery, for example, which is the first freedom, he'll give us an example, the stage just prior to Samadhi that a person will go through where they feel very much alone and they're kind of tested at that period. And he gives that as an example. It's not an example that many of us wrestle with because most people on this earth aren't just at the stage prior to Samadhi, but it's there for posterity. And I think it's great that it is. And as I mentioned, when he's talking about enlightenment, he goes in the commentary straight into advanced, what we would call very advanced meditation, Samadhi as being the only real great meditation, which I'm sure is true, but it's not where most people are. And, and so having said that, there's some things in it, which are extremely simple, easy to understand and follow as well. But uh, he is, and was a very advanced teacher, um, but not too advanced, not too advanced. Uh, no, well, he, he had to go through all those things to, so he could speak to us on our level if he, he just we just beam down, he probably wouldn't even be able to, he wouldn't be able to, no. he would be able to have our vocabulary, have our, um, you know, and, 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 and he's gone now, but um, he has left us with all these missions, which you are carrying out because when you do these practices with the, the prayer, or, well, the pranayana, you're, 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 you're holding pranayana in the body, the, 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 the mantra, you're, the prana, it's all about this coming into the body and then the chakras and with the prey, you have the white light coming down and coming out of your heart and your hands and yeah. you, you put it into a batteries 
which are released yes. at times like this. So it's, it's actually that, that yeah, it is all connected. And, and, and what you're talking about their operation prayer power, which I know you you've done yourself, uh, is a brilliant concept. And in some ways, this pandemic has proved its brilliance, I think more than ever, because the concept being that we store spiritual energy and can release it at a time of our choosing. Now, the idea there was that if there's a you know catastrophe such as the we did a recent our most recent discharge, which was done uh, from Los Angeles actually of Operation Prayer Power Energy, was for the Lebanon uh, catastrophe. Uh, you know, which there, that 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 shows you don't have to be an evil terrorist. You can be a lazy, negligent person and be just as dangerous. That that was the you know the te a tenth. I believe, of the power of Hiroshima, that explosion. Well, we, we did, uh, and that was just through mismanagement, uh, you know, selfishness. It wasn't somebody setting out to do it. They didn't want to do it, but it happened. There's a big lesson there, I think, uh, for all of us. But the uh, point is, prayer power energy was used. But in this whole COVID, uh, you know, pandemic lockdown situation, we haven't been able until quite recently to carry on doing Operation Prayer Power to charge that battery up, to store energy. But even while we haven't been able to do that, because we've been storing it over the years and the months, we had a reserve. Mm -hmm. And so we have been able to release energy. So that's why I say in some ways it's brilliance as a concept has been proved as never before. No, it's fair. I mean, it must, must be hard to believe for people new to yeah. this, you know, who are not psychic or who are not... Yes that you can store something like this and it exists. But yeah, I mean, you, you have, you're doing all these operations. You've proved it many times, many success stories. And we have, and, and people can find some of them details, a book or another, the other book I did with Dr. King was called contacts or he did with me, I should say was contacts with the gods from space. And we give examples in there of some of the results of operation prayer power. But I think it also comes back to the value of the practices. Mm -hmm. Because what the practices, the spiritual practices do is they attune you. And so you are, you know, you're able to discriminate. You, you, you take your consciousness to a higher level. These things are not, they sound unbelievable because they're different. Um, and they are not sort of in the general parlance of materialism. So, so even physics, advanced physics. Or, yes. Yeah, it, it sounds, you know, in the skeptical mind kicks in and you know the point is they may be true they may not be true as far as people are. i mean i have my own experiences i know they're true but you know i don't expect people to take my word for that but if you do the practices though the spiritual practices you will stay on a level where you'll be able to sort out what is true and what is not true i think that could be the most valuable thing the practices can do for you far more valuable than being able to hold your breath or say you know, I've got the Kundalini to X, Y, or Z. Mm -hmm. If you're able to discriminate, is this operation prep? Okay. It, it sounds unbelievable to me, but I can't say that it's untrue mm. either. If I'm honest, how do I know? Yes, you can examine it. You can read contacts of God from space. You can look at it. You can come along. You can see if you feel the energy when you're there. Lots of people. People can't put their hands down. Yeah, they, they can't. No. Oh yeah. No, you can feel all that. Uh, you'll also be guided to your intuition as well. Mm. And this will lead you right. I mean, in intuition is never wrong. It's never wrong. Mm -mm. We can be wrong. 
<laughs> we can be wrong in not listening to it and we can get it wrong because our imagination kicks in. But if you have the concentration, which comes from the practices and you're open to the higher, you know, if you might, the higher energies from the higher chakras, you'll be able to discriminate, you know, and you can do it with the Ethereum society is this, it's not faith. We're not asking anyone to have just have faith, although faith in life is very important, but you can, you can judge it for yourself. And if you don't know, say, I don't know. Some people find that difficult. They can't just say, I really don't know. They, they have to say either I believe it or I don't, mm. um, a, a wise person. I, I, I do a lot of broadcast on one today, as you know, on UFOs. And I think anyone who comes on with the idea, well, these, these, this is a load of nonsense. And there are less and less people who do that by the way now is pretty foolish mm. person because they don't know. They have no idea. They can't say that they don't exist, but how is they it can say you? they don't know. <laughs> how is it for you? Because. You know, you're, you're promoting, you, you're a UFO expert, but you're also coming with a religious aspect there, there is a higher power. And uh, so you're, you know, you can find people who believe in one or the other, but to get yeah. someone who's accepting of both, I mean, that's, you know, we, we, yes. when you look at it logically, I mean, it should, there they are higher powers, they're up. <laughs> <laughs> and they can travel through invisibility and reappear again. And there are thousands of witnesses who've seen that, including in Sussex recently over here in England. Um, but as far as I'm concerned, you know, I, I've, I've been at it for so long doing this. And I, I remember a time where you were ridiculed. I remember a time where, you know, you were called a, actually, when I first used to talk about UFOs back in the sort of early eighties, for example. And I brought documents over from the CIA in America and, and elsewhere and in Russia later on as well. Um, you know, people would say that if you say the government is lying, which they were lying, because in those days they bothered to lie about it. Now they don't. Now they've just given up. They've absolutely given up. As, as of this year, they've come out and said, we, don't, don't, yeah, yeah. we have no opinions. We're out of this. You know, But in the old days, they would come up with a lot of, uh, rubbish. Let's put, let's use a polite word. Um, and I would say, well, governments are lying to you. And people would say, well, you, you know, you, you're a bit of a nutter to talk about conspiracy theories and to talk about governments lying. Boy, have things changed. You know, now yeah. if you said governments tell the truth, they think you're a nutter. So it's, it things have turned a lot. Um, the UFO movement as a whole now accepts, I think, the spiritual aspect, which it didn't used to do. It used to try and keep the spirit people. You up. think it's accepted? No. Right. I think a lot of them, I don't say all of them have, but no, they don't necessarily believe it, but they accept that spirituality is a part of what they call ufology. Okay. And it, and it always has been. If you go back to the early contacts, you know, the very early claimants like Adamski, there was a spiritual aspect there, or I think a theosophical aspect there. It, it's a thread that's always been there. And then of course, particularly when you go back to Ezekiel, and then you go to the Ramayana yeah. and clouds, clouds in the these sky. spiritual books. Yeah. yeah they've been yeah. connected. I mean, Moses, uh, you know, traveled in a cloud. Jesus yeah. traveled in a cloud. The Bible is a UFO <laughs> book. No, I mean. It is among other things. Yeah. So you can't take, I think a lot of people realize that even if they don't like it, they kind of realize it. So I think it has improved in that respect. But so you, you know, it's your, how do you, because I'm trying to promote this society on in my way. Yeah. Well done. Well done. But, but yeah. um, I don't have your, um, your, uh, 
when you've so articulate the way you explain it, how do you? Oh no, you don't have to look. I'm sure you're doing it great. Uh, how do you? How do you? Um, how do you persuade people for the first time? Reward? How do you start? Because there's many different aspects. You could say this is a yoga, a yoga uh, 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 training, or your advanced yoga religion, or um, or it's a UFOs, or it's uh, yeah. You know, there, I've decided, and I talk a lot to Brian Kniep about this, who's the secretary in America, that there isn't one way to discover the Ethereum society. There are many ways. Um, people come to the Ethereum society through sometimes UFOs. Uh, people might. Yeah. How do people through... join? Yeah. What's the... We have had people join as a result of UFOs. Um, I think healing has brought a number of people. Because people so, come from they... Kundalini, they go, uh, sorry. Um... Uh, Reiki, there's like a not really well. They might do Reiki, but they come to us through the King technique, through the okay. technique in the magic of healing, or you two can heal. And sometimes they've been patients and they've been healed by it, and then they get interested. Uh, some people have come through yoga and spiritual philosophy. Some people have come through psychic development, um, and, and and now moved, you know, beyond that. Uh, there's a whole variety of ways. There isn't one way. One thing I don't try and do, because you used the word there, which was persuade. And I'm not saying I've never tried to do that. Probably I, I probably was when I first started, but I don't try and persuade anybody now. I, I don't think it, well, even if it worked, it wouldn't last. They, they have to find it themselves. Mm. And so I'm not trying to convert anybody. I'm trying to share. Mm. I think that's a good policy to have in your mind if they want to, and, you know, and if they don't want to hear about it, I don't force it on anyone. Um, and I try to take it as far as I can in my position that, you know, I get sort of invited on some certain radio shows. There'll be a particular topic that it's about, but I'll, I'll always try and take it further. I mean, it ended up on talk radio with a chap who's actually a friend of mine, James Whale. And, you know, we, we started out on UFOs. We ended up including him and another co-presenter called Ash sending healing energy out to the world mm. in the studio. <laughs> so you never quite know where it will end up. It's, and it's up to people to make their own choices. They'll investigate in their own, you know, in their own way at their own pace. And I just don't think there's one way in. Right, either. right. Yeah, I mean, I, I, the way I've come to it is from the more of a, I would, maybe the academic's the wrong word, but looking at the teachings, not having any special yeah. experiences or never seen a UFO or felt this fire. It's good. But, you know, the, the old teachings and how they, these new ones fit with them perfectly. Yes. And, yeah. you know, it's just. I think that's an excellent way. In because I, I'm, 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 yeah, and I'm volunteering to, I volunteer with the society to, pro to proofread the transcripts of the, um, of, of, of Dr. King and the, yeah. And, you know, it's, it's just this huge volume of, it's incredible. Of, of edu it, it's, it's just incredible. And, and I can't, I can't, you know, that's not something I can tell to someone in a, in a bar in 10 minutes, they've got to, you know, spend of course, you know, hundred hours reading this to just get, just to understand that you, you know, if it is me, well, I will tell you a yoga, I'll tell you a yoga story then, okay. which is in the autobiography of a yoga by someone I rightly or wrongly regard as a very good friend. Uh, namely Paramahansa Yogananda. And he tells a story of, of someone who was um, seeking truth. 
and he found a, a guru to teach him. And he went up to the, to the guru and said, um, will you become my guru? Can I learn from you? And the guru grabbed him and dipped his head in a sort of basin of water, or I, I, I don't know, was it a basin or something, or anyway, a container of water until he could hardly breathe and then pulled him out. And he was quite worried, this student. He said, well, and he said, when you're there, well, what did you want most when I had your head in the water? And he said, air master he said, when you can say truth, I'll teach you. Now go. <laughs> and it's, I love those stories. And there's some stories that, that are even more uh, stronger than that one in that right. book. Uh, yeah, lucky Dr. King was that. Uh... He was strict. He was strict. Uh, anyone who was close to him would, would say that. Um, but he was extremely generous and very compassionate. But I'm sure, though, that's only half the story. I don't know, but I'm sure that guru did more for that student than he seemed to do. That's what they would do. And then, you know, we, one hopes the student might go away, learn the lesson, and then come back and then say, now I'm ready. I, I want truth. But, it got, it, but what it sh why I mention that is because the person has to be a searching themselves. You know, you might meet them for 10 minutes in a bar. You might tell them some fantastic knowledge, but you won't turn them into a searcher. Only their own experience can do that. Okay. Yeah. Well, to anyone listening, I mean, there's just, you know, the books you've written and the books Dr. Gish, even just that, that is only the tip of the pyramid from us helps, you know, if there's just this mountain of knowledge there and there is, there it, is. just to go through what you've written is just to skim the, it's fantastic, but it's just a tip of the iceberg. So. It is a tip of the iceberg. And, uh, Dr. King himself believed, and I, th I'm sure he was right that although we're extremely open, I mean, read the Dharmapada, read the Bhagavad Gita, and he recommended certain things. You don't actually need anything. Let me put it this way. There is easily enough knowledge, practices, and disciplines and procedures within the Ethereum society for anyone. Hmm. So although we'll say, yes, there's other things that are interesting. And if you're interested, by all means, study them. We're not saying we're the only people. Um, you don't need anything else. I mean, I, I, I have to say that I realize that I, I might read things out of interest. They might be of interest to me, but there's more than enough teaching practice. Um, the 12 blessings alone, there's no limit to how much you can do that. I heard that someone, someone gave me some good advice is that the first technique you're given is the one you need and you just use that and it'll take you to the end. You know, the first mantra you get from the first breathing exercise, just do that and get that one is good. Anything will take you to, to the heights. It would have done. Uh, I, I, I don't, I, I get the spirit of what you're saying, but I have to say in this day and age, the karma has changed. That's one of the things that we believe in the society now. And the karma is such now that you, to get to the heights you're talking about, all the way to the heights, you might get to a certain level. Yeah, I, mean, I, I, could, certain. I, I, I could name a teacher who's very well known as a very popular teacher of, of so-called enlightenment. And I've met him and I, you know, he's certainly reached a certain stage, but he hasn't reached enlightenment as defined by Dr. King anyway. So it's quite dangerous when you think you've arrived as a matter of fact.
I just yeah. meant that, uh, you know, if you get... I, 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 I understand the principle, yeah. but... Any mother you know, is, is... Yes, indeed. Indeed. Yeah. But what I'm coming to is that in this day and age, okay. you have to serve. You know, I it, it's, it's, it's a strange thing. I, I heard on the news the other day, actually, about somebody who, who had a vineyard that was in difficulties. They couldn't uh, pull all the vines because of covid and it's quite a long story so they put something on facebook and lots of people came to help them pluck the vines and help them and in one way that's great but then when you stop and think all those people plucking the vines on that vineyard if they you know what they could have done for people in real distress people children on the street and so on and then if you go beyond that to spiritual things and what i'm leading up to here is what the thing that will take us to the heights eventually the real heights is to serve in the most effective way that we possibly can. And I've been asked before by, in television interviews, you know, why, which is better, material service or spiritual service? And I, the answer I've, I've given is that both are needed. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you, we, we send energy to Lebanon, but my goodness, it's the people going in there, digging people out of rubble, uh, you know, healing them in hospital, makeshift hospitals, are, are, I think they're, they're much greater saints than people sitting in caves right now, right now mm. in the Himalayas. Mm. Uh, and they don't believe in spiritual things, some of them probably. They may, they may not. But what I would say is this, many more people believe in material service and they will support material service. There are many people on this earth who believe in spiritual service. And in the case of the Ethereum Society, cooperating directly with beings from higher worlds. So that then, because not many people are willing to do it, not many people, I would say, are ready to believe it or accept it into their lives is the most valuable service anyone can give. And that will take you to the heights. Okay. So that's the way you're not running a soup kitchen in London or something like yeah. that. You know, there's other people doing great. that, you know, those things are great. Helping some people with their vineyard is good. I mean, you know, they're not sitting at home looking, watching telly, they're helping someone. But, you know, you've got to serve in the most potent way you, because I always remember Albert Schweitzer when my, because my mother used to read to me as I was growing up, it sort of ingrained into me. You know, he, here was a man who was a brilliant organist, a great theologian, but he realized he could do more good if he learned medicine in his case. And, he, and not only learned medicine, go out and live in a leper colony, mm. having learned medicine. And that's exactly what he did. Um, you know, and you've got to take your hat off to that. Uh, it wasn't his chosen or his, you know, preferred occupation, uh, which was, as I say, music and theology. But he said, this is how I can help. Now, in, in this day and age, I'm here in the Ethereum Society because I believe that's the most effective way we can help our world. Right. Uh, and indeed cooperate with higher powers. And indeed, mo most importantly, actually, help the planet herself as a living being. And if I didn't believe that, it'd be different. But people have to make their own judgments. But when you find the way that you can make the biggest difference to the whole, that's going to take you to the heights if you do it. I've heard it said that the, the 12 blessings is the most powerful tantric yoga technique ever, ever given in the mystery schools. This is the most, it's the most powerful technique you can learn. Right. It's, it's the greatest spiritual practice. I, I've never heard it described as tantric, as a matter of fact, myself. I've never heard that word used. I, I thought tantric means like 
combining the many yogas. So it's, it could, it's tantra is right. like they combined. So karma. I think probably tantra is used in perhaps different ways by different people. I think so, yeah. Word. yeah. But it's certainly a yoga practice. And, and I must give credit there, not only to the master Jesus, but to Dr. George King. Because you, you're familiar with the 12 blessings and you know it's a set of 12 practices, obviously, and they're all blessings. And it takes, uh, as Master Jesus once said, it in, introduces a cosmic concept or introduces the cosmic awareness or realization uh, through that text. If it had been just left, though, and I'm sure the Master knew Jesus would have known that it wouldn't just be left like that, it would have been just a much greater version, if you like, of the Sermon on the Mount, an extension of that. They don't practice the Sermon on the Mount. They read it in church or at home. It's Dr. King who turned it into the practice that we use. Really? It's something, it's something that I didn't realize that until a couple of years ago. And I, I remember phoning Brian Knipoff. I said, you know, and I made the point. And he hadn't thought, thought about it quite like that. And that's an example, actually, of the humility of, of Dr. King. He, all, he always let it say, you know, the practice. It is a practice brought to earth by the Master Jesus, that's for sure. And, you know, I'm sure the Master Jesus knew, but it was Dr. King who said, you know, raise the hands, visualize the white light. It's not in the text. Really? Yeah. It's not because in the text delivered it, by the Master. You've got the book, haven't you? And you've heard it, maybe. Because it's, it's a kind of headline. There's a headline. The blessing, the light. Yes. And then there's a, then there's a, a part of... Um, What's the second? Some words. Yeah. Some words. Yeah. <laughs> text. So, yeah. And then there's a prayer. A prayer. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's very true. And that, it was delivered like that. And it could have stayed like that. And what would we have done with it if Dr. King hadn't said, visualize white light, raise your hands, do the blessing, send it to the group soul, leave a pause, then do the prayer. It's he who ah. made it what it is. And he never, ever claimed that. He never went around saying that. He just did it. And I'm because... sure the Master Jesus knew he would do it, by the way. But you won't find a transmission from the Master Jesus, which says, raise your hands, visualize the white light, going out through the palms, out through the... It, that's from Dr. George King. Because the way it works, the structure is, it starts with the, the first six blessings are, are, to, are to the after the seventh blessing is the mother earth yes uh, it gets more cosmic from the seventh yeah right that's true so you yeah. you send out power to to the being with the blessing and you get that's power right. back and then you send it out to the next level up and so it's it's a it's a it's a, yeah. it's a magic and again all that's been explained by dr king that's all his explanation right um uh, and, and there's and there's also some commentary in there by saint guling before each one but essentially, um, it was turned into this wonderful, wonderful practice. And you're right, it's one of the greatest practices, if not the greatest practice any of us can do in these days. Um, and if you can go to a holy mountain and do it, if you're able to do that, right. all the better. But the best place to do it, if you can, and most people can't do this because they may not be in a, in a town or a country where it, they can do it. But if you can do it at the Operation Prayer Power, that's now its greatest use, actually, of all because that then it's working directly with cosmic intelligences who, who, who manipulate the energy themselves. 
So there's the, there's a 12 blessings website, 12, one, two blessings. 12 blessings.org. And we do online services and people can join in and hundreds of people do join in. You don't have to be a member. A lot of the people who join in aren't members. Some of them are brand new and you're guided through it. Uh, so yes, 12 blessings.org. It's a, it's a wonderful practice and it will benefit the world tremendously. And the, the, you know, by, by sending energy out to the world, we're, we're improving conditions in the world but it will benefit you as well. And I would say most importantly of all, it will help the planet, the mother earth, because she is waiting for humanity to change. She's holding, I mean, she doesn't have to, but she is. And so the more we can help humanity to change, the better from her point of view. That to me would be the greatest motive of all for doing the 12 blessings. And it's also, there's a, there's a, there's a 13th blessing for the, because not many people, not even no Christians. Call it the 13th, but yeah, the, the last blessing. Yeah. Not many, not many Christians pray for Jesus to be strengthened. It's incredible. You know, I, I've, I've heard, I've actually happened to be driving past an evangelical rally once and they were singing some kind of a song, which was, had the words, something like this, Jesus come back to earth. They were calling Jesus to come back to earth. And I thought you've got it so wrong. I mean, it, how bad was it the first time? And you want him to come back into this? Yeah. It's so wrong. And that's where they could learn a bit from the East, actually, and some devotional appreciation. Uh, Sending energy to the... I mean, we know why. But it's this faith, there's reverence, and all of those things. But this last blessing you, you're talking about, which was actually composed by Dr. King himself, delivered by Dr. King himself, uh, is for the master Jesus, not asking him to do anything for us, mm. thanking him for the incredible sacrifice he made. And he was on earth for hundreds of years after the resurrection. I mean, he, he stayed here. He's still here. He's still here now. Mm. And uh, if you do the 12 blessings with other people, his presence will be there mm. and you, you can feel it. It's the most beautiful. I always think the master Jesus is such a beautiful intelligence, what we know of him, what we grasp of him. That, and, and when I say him, by the way, there's no necessity to believe he's any more male than he's female, by the way. Yeah. He's in a male body to right. do a job on this earth. For kind of he's so yeah. backward. Well, because we're so backward that if you came as a woman, that it, it would be very, very difficult to do certain types of job. And I do believe that's one of the reasons a number of avatars have had to be met. I'm not sure. saying they've all had to be men, but um, he is, is one in particular who has a lot of the female in, in, in him. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, and I, I just think that he's so beautiful that he proves God. I mean, that's such a beautiful, wonderful being. And if you hear his voice, which you can do on the 12 blessings, you can get it on audio form. It's absolutely beautiful. And it, you know, how can you hear that? This is where I'm coming from and say, no, it's no such thing as God. I, I've known people to hear that voice and they weren't even told who it was. And they said, that's Jesus. I, I recognize that somehow. It's incredible. Yeah. And I've also listened to many of your, because you have your own podcasts, your, uh, um, Theorist Radio Live. And you, yes. you've, you've dissect, you've had an hour on each of the blessing, yes. an hour on each of the freedoms. If you go, oh, yes, those podcasts. The, I'm sorry. Yes. I know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. We do. Yes, so you, you know, to go so deep into each one of those, it's incredible. 
actually, I, I would say that the the lectures that Dr. King delivered on the twelve blessings and especially the nine freedoms. I'm listening to them now. I'm checking. Okay, I mean they are tantamount to transmissions in my. Yeah. They're, they're not transmissions per se. They're hints, but they some of the things he says there are as great or in the same league as, as some transmissions that have been delivered, even some aspects of those transmissions. Um, they are truly outstanding and, mm. and they go, and it proves again how advanced he was and is the way he could, you know, explain it all. Just deep, profound occult truths. I mean, you have to study, you can't appreciate it unless you're really a metaphysics, you studied metaphysics and then because no. It's, it's just very profound and, and that's one of the hallmarks of truth, isn't it? That it's, it is, but he doesn't complicate things and he tries to keep and did succeed in keeping things very articulate, very easily understood, uh, avoided using complicated phraseology, you know, so you can understand it at a level. And then as you go through the years, as I said to you earlier, you know, I suddenly read something, oh my goodness, that hits me what that meant now. And I've read it many, many times before. So you don't have to worry about that. You can start in and you'll find you never tire of going back. It's, it's extremely rewarding. And, and you're sort of unveiling layers upon layers upon layers. One, one, one communicator, because the nine freedoms was delivered by the Master Jesus. and Sorry, the nine freedoms were delivered by Master Sector 6 and the 12 blessings by the Master Jesus. There is another communicator who doesn't get so much of a mention because he didn't deliver one of those two texts, but has delivered possibly more transmissions than any other. And that's the master Etherius. And some of his wisdom is very multi-layered. In fact, Dr. King told me that with the master Etherius, there's always at least two meanings in everything he says. And there could be more than that. And he talks, as I'm sure you know, in a very simple way, a very approachable way. He talks to you as though he's telling you something you always knew. You know, it's, it takes you into his embrace, really. He doesn't talk down or at you. Uh, he's very direct. Uh, he, he's not always seeking to be popular. Sometimes he can be very, he, actually, generally, he's extremely encouraging, but he can also be disarmingly honest as well. But you do find from his text, I mean, I'll, I'll name one, from free will to freedom. Uh, in there, there is um, a passage which is extremely advanced, I believe, exposition on Kundalini and the chakras. And it's not given in that way. You could read it without realizing that at all. But in fact, it's, it's there and it's very clear the, the deeper you go into it. So, the, you know, unlike, say, some sort of mystical, they used to, the old mystics, you know, the sort of, from France and England and other parts, they used to write in a very complicated manner whereby you could hardly discern much from even some theosophy uh, at all. Um, with the Ethereum Society teachings, you'll always get something at one level that's very assimilable, very understandable and helpful. But the more you go into it, the deeper it gets, the more is revealed the more satisfying it is at a very deep soul level. You must be very, very privileged because, I mean, in a hundred years, this will be in academia. There'll be people studying it. You know, now it's, I've heard, you know, you, yourself and Alison, 
uh, your wife are just one of the few people who are looking at these texts and looking at, you come up with these new, you often come up with new insights in your sermons. And, uh, yes. I mean, I, I, I'm mystified, you know, often think, you know, to have been, and I'm not alone as a number of us, but to have been that close to someone I regard as one, one of, if not the, well, I wouldn't compare anyone to Lord Babaji and nor would Dr. King allow it, but, and he never claimed this, but I'm saying this, one of the greatest avatars who's ever walked this earth, yeah. or if you want to regard him as a master and I have to, you know, it's an extraordinary thing, but you know, I just look upon it. That's what's happened. There must be some reason for it. Uh, I'm certainly not deserving as an individual. Uh, I'm sort of, it's work in progress. Um, I had a big lesson from him because he, he phoned me up one day, um, and this would be 1987 when I was 33, I think, um, or 34. Anyway, whatever I was, I should know. I was born in 53. It depends which month it was. Anyway, he phoned me up and he said, I'm thinking of making you a bishop. Mm -hmm. And what do you think? And I came straight back and I said, well, to be really honest, um, much as it, you know, be a great honor, I'm really not deserving of this. I, I, I this is a, you know, I'm, I'm not really worthy of it. And I wasn't trying to be humble. I really meant it. I, and he was extremely disappointed. He didn't say, oh, what a great thing. You're great humility. You're not at all. He was, oh, and I could tell he was disappointed. So he, he phoned me back. Um, about something and, and I realized I'd spoken out of turn. So I, I sort of said to him, look, I think it would be good for the UK to have a bishop over here. Yeah, you, you were young, you were older than you, there were many older, you Jack, I wasn't as pure, as spiritual as I should have been. That was my view and I'm sure it's true view. Um, uh, but you know, he, he didn't have a lot of people to cho choose from for that position. There's lots of very good people, but it was difficult for him. So I realized that I realized this isn't great. This isn't what he wants. Um, as a matter of fact, he went off and then, cause it wasn't just me. It was his wife, Lady Monique King, uh, as well. He was going to consecrate and eventually did consecrate. Um, he checked with the Lord Babaji, um, without me knowing, and uh, he approved it. Um, and he came back and told me, so I thought, look, okay. So I said, look, so the Lord, Bad so he's chatted to the Lord Majesty about, listen, just that, bridge. that move, that move, yeah. well, you know, it had to be someone. And I, but, I, I, was, you know, I was, I was thinking about I'm looking at it. No, 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 no this isn't a, an exposition of <laughs> me at all. This is just the way it was. So I learned a big lesson and I said to him, okay, it's up to me. I said. I said, it'd be very good for, for, for European headquarters to have a bishop and have one there. It's very good. It's a great honor. And it's up for me to go out of my way to deserve it. Mm, mm. What I said to In him, future. he said, and then he said, that's the right attitude um, because it was, it's no help to him being incredibly humble. Oh, no, I'm not worthy. How does that help him? Even if it's no, true, which you definitely not worthy. I mean, yeah, you know, exactly. And it's, it's work in progress now. You know, that was, yeah, yeah. It's, I'm still working at it, but it was a big lesson. And that's what I'd say to people, you know, there's anyone can do 
anything, even if you're not worthy of it. If it's come along, it must be a karmic moment and it must be possible because I've come across this with the ethereal mm. People say, this is advanced. This is difficult. Uh, I don't think I can do it. I don't mm. think I'm able to do it. I do believe it. It's a very small organization. I mean, people don't it appreciate is, it is small and it, you know, and, and we can do a lot with a small number, but we, obviously the more, the merrier of the right. But I, I will say to them, look, it's come along. So you must be able to do it, whether you're worthy or not. Yeah. Or it couldn't happen. That's yeah. a karmic impossibility. And I think people can be encouraged by that. Thinking uh, about, you know, your position and, you know, for reading the biography, which is, and, the, and it's a fantastic read. And um, that, uh, I don't know if you have any bad slight memories, but Dr. King must look to look at you and be able to see, you know, know what you had for breakfast you know, many lives ago. And so he probably saw that, you know, you ran a monastery in France very well, you know, in the last time around and you ran a huge in, in, in uh, China, you were in China, you were serving the king very well there. So he didn't sort of, he told me at Monic one place that we'd been one, one, uh, these certain, certain country that we'd both been, um, he, I have one, I have a few memories. And there is one particular person I, I actually remember being, and he did mention that person to me more than once. I remember that person was killed, uh, um, while doing their work. Um, and I do remember him saying, I, I went to him once to defend certain people who had made a mistake, which wasn't always helpful to him. Uh, for me to do that because he, he knows about people better, far better than I do. So I, I said, well, yeah, but you know, they were trying to help. And he said, well, so were the people who killed so-and-so and named that person. So he would, he would do that. You never told him that name. You never told him. I'd never told him. Although he did sit down and one dinner and said, tell us all about so-and-so and named him to me. He said, Richard, tell us about so-and-so. But he wasn't the sort of master who would tell you. I mean, I'll, I'll give you an example. He would do it all subtly and he didn't need to. He was almost above that. You know, he, for example, I'll give you an example. One, when I was in America, I very often have the honor of not of eating with him, but sometimes if he was watching a television program of watching a television program with him. Now, when he was watching a television, which might be a film or something, he would very often be doing something else as well, you know. He, but but he'd be sitting there and he'd be watching. Well, I I had a really bad headache, and he had a tannoy system. And I was where I was staying on the property in America. He could tannoy into the room and said, "Richard, come over and we're going to watch so and so this film." And I said to him, well, "I'm really sorry, Master, but I've got a really bad headache. If you don't mind tonight, I just think I ought to rest up." He said, "Get over here. Come over here." So on the face of you think. That's callous, you know, that's mm -hmm. callous. And so off I go and he says, sit down. And then he says, have a drink, which was the last thing I wanted, you know, at that point. And he poured me a drink. And to be polite, I took the drink. I drink it quite slowly, but I had a drink. He had a drink, we were watching this thing. And right the way through it, he was nudging me, you know, in the ribs. You think, you got a headache, you know. The, the, the headache went completely. This is a small story, but I, what I'm illustrating more, not is his healing power, which we know about, but his methodology. So then it came to a break in the film and I said to him, thank you so much for that healing. My, my headache has completely gone. I feel absolutely fine now. 
And he said, what healing? Don't, don't be silly. Now let's get on. And so that's the way he was. He didn't go announcing he was doing this for you, that for you. He worked subtly and he, you know, he'd know about certain lives. He wouldn't let necessarily let you know which lives he knew about mm-hmm. and the future uh, he made his own mm-hmm. judgments. But you know, the way I look at it, none of us, none of us were really equipped, uh, to be followers of him. Well, Jesus had Anips, you know, as his disciples. They Some were of them, yes. St. Peter was, mm-hmm. possibly Judas was. Uh, we know that St. John is now, may have been then, I don't know. And we know that St. Paul is a planetary one now, but he wasn't, he wasn't around Jesus. I, I, my own opinion, again, mm-hmm. my opinion, I want to stress, I can't believe he was in that life. Because I don't think an avatar would have uh, persecuted, killed Christians, even in the early part of their life. Yeah. But there was an example though, of someone who completely changed. I mean, it's a beautiful thing. Well, you know, whatever your religious beliefs, he can yeah. changed, you know, he heard the voice. We all know the story of Damascus, blindness changed completely and became the most vigorous, possibly other than St. Peter and, you know, campaigner for the church and the spreading of the message and the on earth you know and um may for all i know he may have had a lives after that but he's certainly a planetary one now but but yeah i get your point it's all about karma with dr jing now everything was karma everything everything. i mean having ordinary people as a he did and and you know since we're being honest some people couldn't or felt they couldn't cut it and didn't stick around him for one reason or another, particularly if they were at the highest levels or got very close to it. Well, it was hard work. It was hard work. It was extremely demanding. And, you know, I, I, he didn't say this at all, but I always feel none of us really fully lived up to his expectations of us. Uh, but it's not something that he said to me that at all. He was very generous. In fact, one thing I, I discovered a few things actually, uh, you know, about that. And one was that he could be very forgiving. He could be strict, as I mentioned, very strict and demanding. Um, and, you know, I'd get a phone call, I want you here in 20 hours, not 24 hours. Get over here. I need you now. To America. To America. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I might die, he would say. You know, he didn't, he, he never took anything for granted. He had a dangerous mission. And I'd, I'd be up and I'd go, no matter what else I was doing or not doing. Um, so if you were in that sort of close circle with him, it was very pressured and the people who looked after him in Santa Barbara and so on, they were on call all the time, 24 hours for him. I was on call 24 hours a day, but some, I wasn't always in the same country as him. Um, so it was, it was a full on thing. It was a difficult thing, but I, I did find him also, he could be extremely compassionate and very forgiving. You could make a mistake. I certainly made mistakes and he would forgive me. And I had to realize myself because you could easily then be lulled into feeling I've been forgiven by the master. So it's all okay, Mm. but it's not, I don't think it is okay. I think it's great. It's wonderful of him and we can all move on, but I've still got to do something. I've got to make up for that. And that's one of, that's one of the things I learned. And another thing that I learned, I'll quickly say this is that he, he, he was always right about anything that mattered. He wasn't always right about every detail, you know, every fact. He, he spoke in good faith. He might get a, a name slightly wrong, a date slightly wrong. And, a, you know, could, everyone can misspeak. I certainly do at mm-hmm. times. So, but 
if it mattered, even if initially he'd made a decision that wasn't quite right, he'd always correct it and he'd always put it right. And I got very, very used to that. I could give quite a few examples of it. So I, I did find that after he left us, physically left us, he hasn't left us at all, I had to adjust because the very best of human beings aren't like that. It was a very unusual quality, uh, extremely rare, if not unique. Well, it's incredible. I mean, I hope your biography is coming out soon because that's, uh, you know, <laughs> if, if uh, Peter and Paul and John had, uh, you know, just well, that's not a planetary one. I can assure you of that. <laughs> no, but, uh, you know, I mean, it's difficult to appreciate Dr. King now because, you know, people don't know about, I mean, I, I, when I remember two years, I could hear the trans certain transmissions that relate to yes. his, his real missions. Yes. So yes. even I am not, I don't understand fully the, that what he, you know, like Jesus did for one for the teaching and also for a much more important to die. Mission. Basically to die. Yeah. To, to manipulate karma. And Dr. King had yeah. an even more important mission than did. The, the teachings are just enough, enough for me now. Stunning. I mean, it's stunning. 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 But I want to give credit to you, you know, uh, Jack and, and other people who didn't meet Dr. King. And I give great credit to those people, especially those who really dedicate themselves. And we have some people here in London and there's some people in other parts of society who are totally dedicated. They've given up you know, or their financial interests, sometimes their, you know, opportunities in their own private lives in order to dedicate themselves on this path without having physically met him. And I haven't done that. I physically met him. So I think credit is due to them and his credit is due to someone like yourself who's found the society, is out there putting it out. And some ways people might relate to you more than they relate to me. There's things I could teach them, yes. But, you know, they're in the same situation that you're in. So they, they can relate to you. Okay, you've dedicated yourself to this. You've discovered this. You didn't meet uh, Dr. King physically. Or, or let's say if you did, you did it on the other realm. No, that's not impossible. That isn't yeah, yeah, impossible yeah, yeah. at all. You could have even, uh, let's see, how old are you? Um, <laughs> 43 now. Okay. So you could easily have been in the Ethereum Society before you came to this. The theory side has existed on the other realms for long times. So that's all possible. But, um, you know, I think you carry a lot of, a lot of credibility and all power to you. And I take my hat off to you. I take my hat off to everyone. Uh, those who are dedicated, who knew him and have stuck the course, which not everybody did. Uh, one or two didn't, but they've come back. And that's not easy to do either. Because uh, you have to admit your own errors to yourself, if not to anyone else. And, and people who like you, you found him now. Great. Uh, and that'll go on for centuries, I hope. And eventually it will be understood uh, as it is, I believe, on the highest realms, the very highest realms. I think very it's low, very low, not many population. <laughs> yeah, probably so. But I, I, I don't think there's anyone there who doesn't accept Dr. King. Doesn't mean they're all, their main thing is the Ethereum Society, because they might have other tasks to do for rather ascended masters, for example, or something specific. But they will also accept the society, and some of them, I believe, are really studying the texts we're talking about there and are completely committed to the Ethereum Society. And that's a wonderful thought, too. That's a, that's a wonderful note to end on. I think uh, that's, uh, 
Yeah. Thank you so much for taking the it's time. A pleasure. Thank to... you for, thanks for speaking to me. And yeah, God man. bless all your listeners. All right. Thanks very much, Richard. Pleasure thank you. Bye-bye. Bye.